Okay, we have been doing a series called Truth from Ruth. And last week we did chapter 1 of Ruth. And uh, so just to kind of catch you up, a lady named Ruth and her husband Elimelech. Elimelech meant God is king. They left Bethlehem, which is in Israel. Bethlehem, we know where Bethlehem is, right? Somebody else was famous, was born there, right? I think it was Michael Jordan. No, it wasn't. It was Jesus, wasn't it? Jesus was born in Bethlehem. But this was before Jesus. They're living in Bethlehem. They move away uh, because there's a famine in the land, and they move to a place called Moab. And while in Moab, they intermarry their uh, sons to Moabite women, not Jewish women, and which was actually against their laws. And uh, you know the story that... Um, both of these, both of their sons died, and her husband died. So in a 10-year span, she goes losing her husband, losing her uh, sons, and now it's just Naomi, only 10 years later, and it's her two daughter-in-laws, and we talked about the story. In fact, our sermon last week was, was um, hugging is better than kissing. And we talked about how Orpah kissed her mother-in-law. But we also learned that in the Bible, kissing not just means affection like it does today, but it means kissing goodbye. Judas kissed Jesus when Judas uh, um, betrayed Jesus. He kissed him goodbye. So Orpah kissed her mother, but the Bible says that Ruth, and, and the King James has said, clave to her. It's like held on and wouldn't let go, and I called it hugging. She hugged her. She wouldn't let go. And so we talked about how hugging is better. You know, there's people that will kiss you and be affectionate to you or kiss up to you, or they'll tell you to kiss off, you know what I'm saying? But, but hugging is better than kissing because what she says is she says, where you go, I'll go. Where you live, I'll live. Where you die, I'll die, and there will be, I'll be buried. One of the truths we learned last week is you don't know how to live until you've decided where you're going to die. And I told you last week where I'm going to die. I told you that I'm going to die moving people far from God toward their highest potential as Christ followers. I've already decided that's where I'm going to die. And so because I know where I'm going to die, that directs how I'm going to live. So I challenged you to visit your tombstone early. Look at your tombstone. Think about, your, think about how you want to end up in your life. So here we are. Now we're coming to chapter 2. So if you remember the word, the picture last week, we had Judy uh, walking with uh, Jennifer, I believe. And, and uh, sorry, Judy, but the 10 years were hard on you. And, uh, and, and, and the Bible said that it was so hard on Naomi that... The people in town didn't even recognize her when she came back and they said, could this be Naomi? And we talked about how sin takes its toll when you, when you go off and uh, getting out of God's plan and sin takes its toll. And so we talked about how Naomi had aged so much in those 10 years, but now how she and Ruth come limping into back to Bethlehem. Now think about this. When Naomi left... She was from a moderately well-to-do family, definitely middle class or upper middle class. She probably had a stone house. Now when she moves back, she's having to move into like a mud and clay house. So here she was. The people knew her as a 
well-to-do person, but now she goes back and she's coming back in poverty. And we're going to begin week two of Truth from Ruth from chapter two. And I'm just going to deal with the first ten verses uh, of Ruth two today. If you wouldn't mind standing one more time just in honor of the reading of God's word, I'm going to read the first few verses. It says, now, now Naomi had a relative in her husband's side from the clan of Elimelech, a man of standing, whose name was Boaz. And Ruth, the Moabitess, this is the daughter-in-law, said to Naomi, let me go to the fields and pick up the leftover grain behind anyone whose eyes I find favor. And Naomi said to her, go ahead, my daughter. And so she went out and began to glean in the fields behind the harvesters. And as it turned out, she found herself, turn to your neighbor and say, it just so happened. How how many of you have ever known that in God's kingdom there's a lot of just so happens? It just so happens that she finds herself working in a field belonging to Boaz, this man of standing, who's from the clan of Elimelech. And when she had left Bethlehem, they had sold their stone house No, no, I'm sorry, from the clan of Elimelech. Lord, we thank you for your word. We just pray that you'd bless it today as we discover more truth from Ruth. In Jesus' name, and everyone said amen. You may be seated. Welcome to God's country. Can I just say that my wife and I have been living here for two years now in Tennessee, and this feels like God's country to us. I mean, a lot of people talk about, uh, you know, the beauty of Tennessee because of the mountains and the hills and all that kind of stuff. But in in many other ways, Tennessee really has a sense of God's country around. We were shocked coming from Illinois, just all of the all of the God references when we came to Tennessee. I mean, you go to a restaurant and see people like praying before their meals. And it's it's kind of shocking. God has just kind of been taken from the public square in in many other parts of the country. I don't even think you realize uh, what you have here unless you've lived in another place. I met some people this past week that had moved from New York, and they were talking about one of the reasons they moved from New York was just this sense of we can't believe that people, like, read the Bible here. You know, welcome to God's country. Well, when I say welcome to God's country and Naomi and Ruth coming back, I have to make an explanation because they're coming to Israel, which is, in a technical sense, God's country. But this is during the period of the judges, which is not necessarily the most godly time in Jewish history. In fact, the Bible says this about the period of the judges, that that there was no king in Israel and people did that which was right in their own eyes. And so during the period of the judges... Things were pretty corrupt for much of the time, but there were pockets and places that were more like God's country. And I want to talk about God's country this morning, because one of the things that we learned in the verse that we just read is that in God's country, people on the fringes are protected. Hear me. If you're taking notes today, people on the fringes are protected. You see, God set up a plan... For people who are on the outside, people like Naomi and Ruth, who, who, who life has beat them up, and, and the ten years has been drastic on their life, and now they come limping back into Bethlehem. And in God's country, there is, there is a place for people who are on the fringes of society. 
In fact, if you read the Old Testament, Leviticus said this, when you reap the harvest of your land, do not reap to the very edges of the field or gather the gleanings of your harvest. Leave them for the poor and for the foreigner residing among you. I am the Lord your God. You understand that? That, that when, you, when you were to harvest your field, you weren't to do the most thorough job of harvesting, but, but you were to leave the edges of the field so that poor people could come along and gather the, um, the corn that wasn't gathered and gather the barley that wasn't gathered so there was a place. It used to be that in the society, poor people were cared for by the church. They were cared for by God's people. We live in a country now where we think it's the government that has to provide uh, for everybody and for everything. But there was a day in God's country when people were cared for by the people of God. In fact, the Old Testament said that when you... When you um, Gather fruit from your fruit trees. You would beat the fruit tree with a stick to knock the fruit down. It said, once you've knocked them down once, don't knock them again. Because any fruit that's still hanging there, leave them for the poor. So that they can go and they can gather fruit uh, from there. And so in God's country, people on the edges are cared for. One of the things that impressed us when we moved to Knoxville is CARM, Knoxville Area Rescue Ministries. Uh, it's, it's known in this country. I don't know if you realize that, but CARM is known in this country as one of the better, uh, the, one of the better uh, places to care for people that are underserved. And did you know that, that, that homeless people moved to Knoxville because of the reputation of Knoxville, that if we move to Knoxville, we're going to be cared for? In Knoxville, you've got CARM, you've got the Salvation Army, you've got Lost Sheep Ministries, there's lots of, you've got Water Angels, there's lots of ministries in Knoxville that care for the poor. One of the things that makes this God's country to me. And who were they caring for? They were caring for the widow, they were caring for the fatherless, but they were also caring for the foreigner. People who did not know God. You didn't have to show your Jewish card in order to to get the edges of the field. They didn't care if you were from Moab, whatever you were. We want to show you how God's people do. God's people don't say that you have to be one of God's people to be blessed, but we're going to take care of everybody who lives on the fringes. And all God's people said, Amen. One of the things that I love about life churches, I love the generosity of this church. We give a generous portion of our budget to missions and to church plants and reaching people on the fringes. We've got, we've got Nick Brackett this morning, uh, who was at one time a part of our church, who today is in Thailand, where like only 2% of the population is Christian. And he's teaching the Alpha Course to these people who've never heard of Jesus and teaching them about Jesus. And, and we've got people like Stephen Marion in South Africa who are caring for the poor this morning. And part of our budget goes to, goes to do that. Why do we do that? Because, because we're not going to use everything just to, to feed ourselves. We're going to leave the corners of our field so that people that are on the fringes can be served. Aren't you glad for that? Amen. I just want to suggest to you this morning, that's one of the things that makes Life Church God's country. I don't know about you, but I want to say when people walk into Life Church, welcome to God's country. You're now entering God's country. Why? Because one of the reasons is we care for people who are on the fringes of society. You know, I used to know a country called the United States of America that used to do that. 
In fact, most of you, your grandparents or great-grandparents came from other places. And you came through a place called Ellis Island. And when you came through Ellis Island, there was a, a statue that was standing there called the Statue of Liberty. Melanie has a great uncle who, who when he came over, was it from Russia? From a country that doesn't even exist anymore, former Soviet Union. But when he came, he was so excited when he saw the Statue of Liberty that he threw out all of his luggage and all of his clothes and he threw it overboard on the ship and said, I'm beginning a new life in America. And when he got to the Statue of Liberty, he read the plaque and it said, Give me your tired, your poor, your humble masses yearning to breathe free. The empty refuse of your teeming shores Send these, the homeless, tempest-tossed to me. I lift my lamp beside the golden door. But another thing happens to you when you're... And and, and let me just make another little deal out of... Not everywhere in Israel was God's country. The Bible said she happened onto this field of a man by the name of Boaz. And Boaz was a man of God. But there were other fields in Israel that she could have gone to where she would have not been so well taken care of. But they prayed to the Lord that God would send them somewhere that they would find favor. And God led them to this field of Boaz. Can I just tell you this morning that just because a church calls itself a church doesn't make it God's country. Not every field is doing God's work. Not every field, in in fact there are people that are, that are sitting at home this morning, and the reason they're sitting at home this morning is because they've been to church, and one of the things I often say is the number one reason people don't go to church is because they've been to church. And when they've been to church, they find that it was not a place for people that were on the fringes, and so one of the things that we've committed ourselves to is that we're going to care for people that are on the fringes. And even though we're small in number ourselves right now, we're not going to wait until we grow to a certain measure before we start caring and before we start giving and before we start reaching out. We're going to do it right now. And how many believe that God's going to bless us because of that? I really believe that with all my heart. All my heart. Another thing happens in God's country. God will bring people into your life who can change your destiny. It just so happened, it just so happened that she came onto the field of Boaz. Go to the next slide, if you will. I want to show you a picture of a friend of mine. And this, this friend of mine with that big old grin on his face is a guy named Gary Burgunder. And the, the, the person that came into Gary's life was, was my dad. But Gary was uh, living in a car when I first knew about Gary. He was living in a car down by Lake Murfreesboro because he had no place to live. He was homeless. His wife had died. He was chain-smoking. He was suicidal. He was grieving the death of his wife. He didn't have a tooth in his head. He had no teeth. One day he was contemplating committing suicide when he drove by our church. And when he drove by our church, he noticed the service times of the church. And This was in our church back in Illinois. He showed up the next Sunday, and, and my dad, he just happened onto my dad, but my dad took an interest in this guy and found that Gary had some gifts and uh, Gary could do construction work. And so Gary started working for my dad. Before you know it, Gary had given his heart to the Lord. And uh, just a couple weeks ago, I was back in Illinois, and um, Gary, who had lost his wife, this is his new girlfriend that he met at church. And uh, Gary, my dad got him teeth, 
So I love that big toothy grin that he has right now. This is what happens when you land in God's country. Can we say thanks to the Lord for that? God can put people in your life that can change your destiny. Gary's not the same guy uh, that we knew years ago. When you come to God's country, you realize it's not like any other country that I've ever been to before. We had a, we had a man walk into our church in Illinois, and he, uh, <coughs> he came to the church, and we had this place after church where you would meet the pastor and you'd meet the staff. And this guy came by. He was a man's kind of man. And uh, just kind of rugged beard on his face. And he, uh, he looked at me and said, <clears throat> I was leading worship that morning. He goes, he goes, I saw that this morning you were feeling something while you were singing. I said, yeah, I was. He said, I want to feel what you felt. And the next Sunday he came back to church and, and, and we had a gift for the person the second time they came to church. So he came back in that same room and again. And he said to me this week with tears in his eyes, he said, today... I felt what you felt. He said, I've never been to church in my life. He said, I believe there was a God. I moved here from California, but I thought I could experience God on the beach better than I could by going to church. And so I would go surfing on the beach on Sunday mornings. And there's what he said. Here's what he said about God's country. He said, this is better than the beach. Can I just tell you something this morning, you in Knoxville, this is better than Dollywood. This is better than Gatlinburg. This is better than the Ocoee River. This is better than, this is better than all of, all of the, the, the fun ways that we get. When you come to God's country, there's a sense that I've never, you know, I've had a lot of fun in my life, but nothing's been this good. And, and, and so she comes and she meets this favorable guy by the name of Boaz, and her destiny uh, is changed. Verse 4, it says, Just then Boaz arrived from Bethlehem and greeted the harvesters. This is what happens in God's country. This is the boss. Here's what the boss says. The Lord be with you. And the harvesters called back, And the Lord bless you. One thing that I want to say about God's country is that in God's country, God's people talk the talk. We talk different. In God's country. The Lord be with you. We've got some bosses in this church that are good to their employees. But, but, but you know you're in an unusual place when that happens. You, you know, in our country, it seems like there's, a, there's, a, um, there's almost like a fight between the working class and, and the people who are the bosses, doesn't it? And, and so there, there's this constant fight going on, and, and uh, you, you know, we'll, we'll see these greedy bosses who, who want the, uh, to get by, the employees to get by on the minimum that they can. The minimum, in fact, uh, I don't know if you guys ever watch a show called Shark Tank. We watch Shark Tank, who are these, these multi-millionaires and billionaires who are, who are helping entrepreneurs. But almost invariably, when they're talking to an entrepreneur, about uh, whether they're going to invest in their business, they'll say something like, um, you could make that a lot cheaper in China than you could in America, and so if you'll send that to China, we could make that for like a tenth of the cost that they could make it in there. If you'll send it to China, we'll do it. What are they saying? They're, they're saying? They're saying we want someone to suffer so bad so that we can make money. You know what I'm saying? Based off of greed. And we also know in our country that, 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 that employees 
sometimes have it out for the employers. But, but imagine a place where the employers and the employees bless one another. Boaz, the owner, says, Hey, the Lord be with you. It reminds me of the liturgical church, Yule, and it reminds me, it reminds me of, when, uh, uh, of, of the response when they say, The Lord be with you, and the people respond. And we have three people that grew up Lutheran and Catholic. I see that. What you got to say, folks, is when I say, The Lord be with you, you all, you all say, And also with you. The Lord be with you. Thank you very much. And now, and now when we read the word of the Lord, uh, when we read the word of the Lord in the liturgical church, we say, this is the word of the Lord. And you all say, yeah, three people know it, right? Thanks be to God. Say, say that. Thanks be to God. Hear the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. The reason that that all developed was, was this sense of, of God's country, that the Lord be with you and also with you. Hear the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. And so here's this boss. Now, now, now here's, understand, these workers are saying, the Lord bless you, boss. You know why? If that boss is blessed in God's country, guess who else gets blessed? The harvesters and the poor. The better that boss does, the better those... You know what? Pray for your boss. Say, the Lord bless you. Because if he's blessed, if she's blessed, you're going to be blessed. And guess what? The poor are going to be blessed if you've got a generous boss. They said that generous bosses back then would leave up to, like, up to 25% of their fields that they would not harvest, and they would do that for the poor. It's a wonderful thing that happens in God's country. By the way, this is sort of the beginning of the whole principle of tithing. It was that you would bring part of your grain so that you could take care of the poor and the needy and that the, the, the Levites could, be, uh, could, could have a livelihood. But when we moved from grain to a monetary system, it became part of our income. You don't spend all of your income, but you use some of your income so that you can be a blessing. And how many know that that part of your income that you use to be a blessing, that God uses that to bless you back? Five of you believe that? How many believe that God will bless you back if you are generous with what God has given you? Amen. Amen. The Bible says, see if I won't throw open the windows of heaven and pour you out so much blessing. We didn't wait until we had a decent income before we started giving to the Lord. We did it when we had our first dime and when we were as poor as church mice. But God has blessed us uh, as a result of that. So in God's country, people talk the talk. It's a wonderful thing when leaders look for the well-being of their workers. You know, it's important. Can I just say to us, church, it's important how we talk. In God's country... You know, there's a lot of people that aren't going to church today because of the way that church people talk. And the fact that church people talk, if you know what I mean. How we talk has everything to do with being in God's country. The Bible says that that life and death are in the power of the tongue. We can create things with our tongue. How many believe that we can create atmosphere by the power of your tongue? You know, instead of when, you know, so when people say, how you doing? A lot of times we, we're, we act like a, a thermometer. How am I doing? You know, I kind of, now that you mention it, I do feel, you know, I really believe that you can, 
you can talk yourself miserable. We went through a period in our church in Illinois where we just made a covenant when people asked, we were just going to say, I'm blessed. How are you doing? I'm blessed. How are you feeling? I'm blessed. You know, why would we say I'm blessed? Because we're not being thermometers, we're being thermostats. I'm setting the thermostat. I am blessed. And, and you can create the atmosphere around you with the way that you use your words. That's good preaching, Pastor Phil. Amen. I think I'm going to write that down. All right. Good. All right. Thank you. So how we talk is extremely, extremely important. Um, the reason they talked the talk in Boaz Field is they wanted, listen to this, they wanted lost people to know that God's people are different. So they used God talk in front of non-God people. Follow me for a minute here. We have, we're living in a country today where we're taking God out of our conversations. Merry Christmas is now controversial. We don't have Christmas trees. We have holiday trees now. You know what I'm saying? And, and, and you know, because we might offend a Muslim guy if we say the word Christ. They looked at it totally opposite. They wanted Moabite people to know that God's people were different. And they wanted little Ruth, who was from Moab, to hear in the field, the Lord bless you, and the Lord be with you. And they wanted them to think, you know, back in Moab, the best thing anybody ever said to me was, good luck. You're on your own. And poor people in Moab were, were put on the outside. But when you come to God's country, we care about poor people. We care about people on the fringes. And so, and so they begin talking the talk in front of, you know what, we, not, we ought not be ashamed to talk God talk in front of this world. We're afraid, we're afraid to admit that we're a Christian nation anymore. We've come out and said we're no longer, we don't even call ourselves a Christian nation. Our founding fathers would be rolling over in their graves. They came here for religious freedom. They talked Christian talk in front of a watching world because they wanted to know that Christians were different than other people. When people come to Life Church, I want them to hear a church that talks different. And I want to say, welcome to God's country. Amen. Amen. Because, you know, it's not so in the world. It's not so in the world. I just got on, I just was invited to my Homeowners Association Facebook page. Wow. Did you know that so-and-so living at such-and-such address left their dog outside today? This is the, this is the talk going on on our age. And then someone else says, Yes, but do you also know that they have a dog house for that dog to go in? Well, I would never do that to my dog. And some new neighbor in the neighborhood got on that and said, Man, I'm new in this neighborhood. You guys are passive-aggressive. And, and I was just reading this thing, unbelievable. I'm thinking, i got to get back to God's country where people talk the talk. It's one of the things I love about Life Church. We can say, the Lord bless you and the Lord be with you. Amen. Amen. 
let's quit worrying about offending people who are not Christians and let's be nice to Muslim people and Buddhist people, but let's let them know that in God's country, we talk different and we treat people different. We don't bomb you if you don't believe in our religion. We love you whether you believe us or not because God loved the whole world that he gave his only begotten son. Hey, if you haven't realized, we got the greatest religion going right here in Christianity because every other religion says do enough and you can please God. If you'll do these commandments, you can do it. Our, our, our religion says we can't do enough and he did it all for us. I like our religion. I like our story and I want to talk our talk. Amen. Amen. Welcome to God's country. Welcome to God's country. Hallelujah. So Boaz asked the foreman of his harvesters, whose young woman is that? The the foreman replied, she's the Moabitess who came back from Moab with Naomi. She said, please let me glean and gather among the sheaves behind the harvesters. She went into the field and worked steadily from morning until now, except for a short rest in the shelter. And so Boaz said to Ruth, My daughter, listen to me. Now, if you know how this story is going to go, you might think he's flirting with her because, you know, I don't want to to spoil the ending of the story, but there is a love story going to emerge here. But we have no indication that this is about him being attracted to her physically. We have no, in fact, after this happens, she works the whole harvest season without apparently ever having any more interaction with Boaz. He's doing it because he cares for people on the fringes. He's doing it because he cares for people outside of the family. So please let me glean the harvest among the sheaves. Boaz says to Ruth, my daughter, listen to me. Don't go and glean in another field. Don't go away from here. Stay here with the servant girls. Watch the field where the men are harvesting and follow along after the girls. I've told the men not to touch you. Don't let anybody touch you. Whenever you're thirsty, go and get a drink from the water that the men have filled. Because in, in, in God's country, we take care of people when they're thirsty. I want to be a part of a church that feeds people when they're hungry, that gives them water when they're thirsty, that cares about the bruises that they walked in here with, that cares about the story and the long and broken road that brought them to our doors this morning when people walked in. We don't know what happened before they got here, but all I know is, hey, I don't know what you did or what you've done, but there's not one of us here that's not here because of the grace of God. And we just want to say, you're entering God's country. Welcome to God's country. If you're thirsty, we're going to feed you this morning. So the last point I want to share with us today is that God's people walk the walk. Life Church exists to move people far from God toward their highest potential as Christ followers. We're not just going to talk the talk. We're going to go to Water Angels this morning. We're going to go be with people, many that are far from God. We're going to minister the grace of Jesus today. We're going to do it here in the church. We're going to care for those on the outside. Go ahead and go to the next slide if you would. I, I put put a picture of the Life Church tree and some of you walked in this morning this is the first time I've met you let me explain our logo to you it's not we're not just trying to be like orange leaf yogurt or orange Tennessee orange the reason we picked 
an orange leaf on our tree is because orange is people's least favorite color. We had a big discussion when we were designing the logo. Do we put the logo, do we put the orange leaf in the center to represent the fact that we love the orange leaf and the one that's the one that people's least favorite color? But we decided to put it out on the fringe. Because the orange leaf represents people who are on the fringes. You walked in here today, maybe you don't know anybody yet in Knoxville. You don't know anybody in this area trying to start a new life. I just want to say this morning, you're entering God's country. Welcome to God's country. We picked this tree because in the Bible, the Bible calls the tree the tree of life. And there are 12 leaves on that. There are 12 leaves on that tree. And in the book of Revelation, there are 12 kinds of fruit that the tree of life gives off. And the Bible says in the book of Revelation that there are 12 months in the year and each month a different fruit becomes ripe. Which means that the tree doesn't just give off at one time a year and then it's barren the rest of the year. But the tree of life, in January it's got apples and in February it's got oranges and in March it's got bananas and April it's got limes. Because the tree of life is always feeding. One thing I want to say to you if you're investigating us this morning, when you come to Life Church, you'll always be fed. And I'm not going to preach from Reader's Digest or Sermons.com. I'm going to preach from the Word of God. And the tree of life is always feeding. Revelation also speaks of the leaves of the tree. By the way, 12 is a very significant number to God. It's the number of completion. There's 12 tribes in Israel. But the Bible says this about the leaves of the tree. It said the leaves of the tree of life that begins in Genesis chapter 1 and then we find in Revelation chapter 22. So from beginning to end, the leaves of the tree of life are for the healing of the nations say about Life Church this morning. Life Church is a tree that's all Life Church is a church that's always feeding. And it's a church that's always feeding. So if you came to Life Church wounded this morning, I would suggest that there's a leaf here for you. For the healing of the nations. And here's what we say at Life Church. And this is what I was talking about after the text I was thinking last night. Orange is beautiful. Other people don't like orange, not just because we're from Knoxville and we bleed orange. We think orange is beautiful because this place isn't like any other place you've been before because you are entering God's country. And in God's country, people like Naomi and Ruth who came in wounded and weary and worn from life. say to you that have come here, there are people in this church that can change your destiny. You think you just happened on this morning, but there are people that can change your destiny. You're in a place that will talk the talk. 
sermon several years ago that I want to read to you, and it might, it might help you to get to know me a little bit better. I've been accused of being evangelistic, and I'm guilty as charged. I love seeing lost people saved. I love seeing people outside of the family being welcomed into the family of God. And this is called, I Stand at the Door. Imagine, if you would, a doorway right here. This is the doorway where people enter into the kingdom of God. This, this, this reflects the way I feel. I stand at the door. I stand by the door. I neither go too far in nor stay too far out. The door is the most important door in the world. It's the door through which men walk when they find God. There's no use my going way inside and staying there. So many are still outside, and they, as much as I, crave to know where the door is. And all that so many ever find are only the walls where the door ought to be. They creep along the wall like blind men, with outstretched groping hands, feeling for a door. Knowing there must be a door, yes, yet they never find it. So I stand by the door. The most tremendous thing in the world is for men to find that door, the door to God. The most important thing that any man can do is to take hold of those blind, groping hands and put it on the latch, the latch that only clicks and opens to the man's own touch. Men die outside the door as starving beggars die on cold nights in cruel cities in the dead of winter. They die for want of what is within their grasp. They live on the other side of it, live because they've not found it. Nothing else matters compared to helping them find it and open it and walk in and find him. So I stand by the door. Go in, great saints. Go all the way in. Go way down into the cavernous cellars and way up into the spacious attics. It's a vast, roomy house, the house where God is. Go into the deepest of hidden casements of withdrawal, of silence, of sainthood. Some must inhabit those inner rooms and know the depths and heights of God and call outside to the rest of us how wonderful it is. Sometimes I take a deeper look in. Sometimes I venture in a little farther. But my place seems closer to the opening. So I stand by the door. There's another reason why I stand there. Some people go partway in and become afraid lest God and the zeal of his house devour them. For God is so very great and asks of all of us. And these people feel a cosmic claustrophobia and want to get out. Let me out, they cry. The people way inside only terrify them more. Somebody must be by the door to tell them that they are spoiled for the old life. They've seen too much. One taste of God and nothing but God will do anymore. Somebody must be watching for the frightened who seek to sneak out just where they came in to tell them how much better it is inside. People too far in do not see how these, how near these are to leaving, preoccupied with the wonder of it all. Somebody must watch for those who have entered the door but would like to run away. For so for them, I stand by the door. I admire the people who go way in. But I wish they would not forget how it was before they got in. 
that they would be able to help the people who have not yet even found the door or the people who want to run away again from God. You can go in too deeply and stay in too long and forget the people outside the door. As for me, I shall take my old accustomed place near enough to to God to hear him and know he is there, but not so far from men as not to hear them. And remember, they are there too. Where? Outside the door. Thousands of them. Millions of them. More important for me, one of them, two of them, ten of them, whose hands I'm intended to help put on the latch. So I shall stand by the door and wait for those who seek it. I had rather be a doorkeeper. So I stand. this morning.